I'm Christian, and welcome to the Gemoir Leadership Podcast, a show where we talk about effective collaboration, influence, and leadership in an increasingly complex world. My interview partner is Dr. Dirk Schlimm. Dirk is an international leadership expert and the author of Influencing Powerful People. The purpose of this podcast is to share ideas and stimulate discussion, and it does not constitute professional advice of any kind. If such advice is needed, the services of a competent professional should be sought. The speakers, hosts, and Gemar International Incorporated are not to be held responsible for any use, misuse, or reuse of the content. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Gemoir Leadership Podcast. My name is Christian, and I am your host. Today, we're bringing you part one of a two-part interview with a very special guest. That guest is none other than Dr. James Awe, and he's here to help us talk about healthy leaders. As always, let's start with an introduction. Dr. Awe is the Chief Medical Officer of OMERS, the Ontario Municipal Employment Retirement System. OMERS has a world-class team that invests in global portfolio of high-quality assets to support the retirement of over half a million hard-working people in Ontario. Their net assets stand at over $127 billion. Wow, that's a big number there. Dr. Awe provides expertise on health and wellness for employees, members, portfolio companies, and investments in healthcare. He is also part-time faculty in the Division of General Internal Medicine at Johns Hopkins University, with 20-plus years of experience in corporate health. Dr. Awe is the former Chief Medical Advisor at Scotiabank, former Chief Medical Officer of MedCan, and continues as Senior Medical Consultant with a primary care practice in Toronto. Dr. Awe is a past board member of League, a digital health company, and a past executive committee member with the McLaughlin Centre for Genomic Research, University of Toronto, and co-founder of Nueza, a non-profit organization focused on chronic disease prevention and health technology and research in Africa. He has acquired postgraduate training in international health and travel medicine in the UK, Uganda, Barbados, and the United States. Dr. Ah holds a doctorate of medicine from the University of Ottawa School of Medicine and a postgraduate degree in occupational health and safety from McMaster University. That is quite the impressive resume. Dr. James Ah, thank you for joining us on the Jamar Leadership Podcast. Great. Thank you, Christian. It's uh, great to be here and thanks for the invitation. I apologize for the long bio. Doctors tend to be a bit verbose, so uh, <laughs> my condolences. <laughs> no, no, no problem at all. We're, we're used to that here, and we welcome that, and we appreciate your expertise and you being willing to share that with us. And, of course, alongside Dr. James Awe, we do have our resident leadership expert, Dirk. And I believe, Dr. James Awe, that you and Dr. Dirk Schlimm know each other and have worked together in the past. Yeah, it was a privilege to work with um, uh, Dirk, who was in charge of HR and many things at Husky Injection Molding. So I was the um, occupational health physician. So we went through a couple of um, challenging crises, if you will, and uh, really underscored the importance of collaborative work at, at many different levels, multidisciplinary leadership, um, crisis management, et cetera. So it was a privilege to work with Dirk and had some great memories um, working alongside uh, your father. Uh, also, recently, I took the Rotten course for the uh, Institute of Corporate Directors, and, and Dirk did a great lecture on that. We had a good time. I learned a lot, but also enjoyed his uh, his uh, you know lecturing style. 
uh, and brought back a lot of fond memories of, of our days in Husky. Oh, wonderful. That That's so great to hear. And I'm glad that your relationship has continued. So Dirk, with that said, I will let you take the reins here and lead us through this conversation. So Dirk, please take it away. Yeah, uh, Christian, thank you so much. And James, it's just fantastic having you on the on the podcast. As you said, lots of memories. We could have a podcast just on just on that. But but uh, today we're talking about healthy leaders. But maybe we 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 could have a follow on session uh, uh, working with challenging people. But that will be uh, will be for for another time. But but I do believe that the topic of healthy leaders is hugely important, even if you think about, I, I mean, I do a lot of executive coaching and sooner or later, every discussion that I have with protégés, as they're called in the coaching business, comes back to uh, the relationship with uh, with the boss. And, and that can either be a healthy relationship uh, or it can be uh, a not so healthy uh, relationship. And so the, the topic of health and, you know, in the face of stress and leadership comes comes up quite often. So I couldn't think of a, a better expert to have here. So this is why we're so excited to, to have you here. And so to kick us off here, James, how would you explain the concept of, of healthy leaders and why it's really an important concept in today's corporate uh, leadership landscape? Great. So yeah, thanks, Dirk, for the question. And maybe I'll start off with the, the latter part. You know, why is it important in today's corporate landscape? I mean, it's always been important, but right now there's a mental health epidemic, there's a burnout epidemic, there's a war on talent in terms of talent acquisition and retention. Um, you know, we live in a world of multiple uncertainties geopolitically, post-COVID, the hybrid world. So this has been sort of top of mind uh, in terms of wellness, employee health for a lot of corporations, and it's kind of been bubbling up to the C-suite. And so if you look at CEOs and leaders, uh, and you're an expert on this, there's lots of books out there about, or, or experts on effective leadership and performance, but a lot of times leaders often neglect their own personal well-being. And so if you often think about, you know, a leader who's distracted, who's not healthy, that can also cause a disruptive um, culture of health, if you will, within an organization. And we've actually, there is data, you know, and there's literature out there about looking at different leadership styles as it relates to leading healthy, well teams. And so we've actually looked at it, our organization about um, segmenting different groups. And we found um, healthier, you know, teams with higher wellness scores tend to have leaders that have more structure, they kind of lead with empathy, they sort of frequently check in, um, you know, with, with their staff. They also have a very descriptive, prescriptive goals and goal setting. And the ones that tend to have more disruptive uh, or low wellness scores in terms of leadership styles, ones that don't have much structure, um, you know, uh, unpredictable workload, um, deadlines, you know, uh, inability to manage collaboratives globally. So when there's lack of respect of the boundaries of what's expected in the task, sometimes that leads to an imbalance between demand control, effort reward, which leads to unwell teams. So as we know, leaders set the tone of a company, uh, but they also need to set the tone in terms of a culture of health and and to lead with empathy in our current times. Yeah, so James, that's great. And and I think that that idea of empathy is a really a recurring theme in, in leadership. And it, it's always hard, right, to have that tension of on the one hand, uh, empathy. On the other side, as a leader, you're you're accountable to to deliver uh, results and and how do you get how do you get that uh, um, that tension right? But I guess recognizing is, is as always the the diagnosis that that's where it's always uh, always starts. So 
if we pick up on that a little bit, so you're the um, chief medical officers of OMERS, uh, as we heard earlier from Christian, you wear quite a few other hats, but this is what I would say is a big hat you're, you're wearing. Obviously, OMERS is a very, very large uh, pension fund here in Canada, but also we have, we have listeners overseas. It is a very large pension fund, period. Uh, even if you, if you look at the uh, international scale and the, the scale of, of investments. And so there you provide expertise on on health and and wellness and so so let's let's just uh, maybe what would be some key strategies for promoting the the well-being of of employees and leaders within organizations be there large organizations or or smaller smaller organizations? yeah the, i mean the, i guess the traditional advice is you know get leadership buy-in have wellness champions you know have some kind of a strategy but I think what's evolving now is wellness strategy can start to get incorporated into the operating plan or the people strategy. So it's more mm -hmm. of a tactic as opposed to a nice to have yeah. is, um, you know, creating a wellness strategy that, that percolates or permeates, I should say, throughout the whole organization. It can be a competitive advantage. And so the, the other thing I think it's a new trend is multiple inputs on the wellness strategy. So not just from the typical HR you know, kind of a listing campaign with employee surveys, the different levels of leadership, um, the strategy folks, the risk folks, um, looking at a multi-dimensional, diverse way of looking at a wellness strategy. And then what we're doing is, you know, with, or one of the ways that I'm looking at, um, uh, you know, wellness in our organization is something called a wellness maturity model. So looking at different segments of a wellness strategy as it relates to the maturity, you know, is the enterprise ready to implement some of these things along these different lines? So one way of looking at wellness could be self-care. Uh, another line could be psychological safety. Another line could be sort of mindful leadership. And a final line could be predictive analytics. So kind of data-driven wellness strategies. What is the benefits data, uh, the performance data, the employee experience survey um, shaping your wellness programs? So you need to have a strong benefits plan. And so it's always about looking at your benefits plan. Does it uh, fill the needs of your global or your local organization? And you have, to have very, you have to have a very strong communication strategy. You might have all these great, wonderful things, but if your employees don't know how to use it, mm. then it, it really um, misses the mark. And also we're kind of evolving into this customization, you know, the Uberization of the world, which is like wellness on demand. So are there ways that you can use technology to be more selective and precise in terms of giving wellness services to people in the moment of the time that they're in like what do they need now versus what we think they need so i think there's going to be more of an evolution of interactive predictive smart wellness if you will yeah uh, james so that that's interesting and and of course i mean you you have a, a really significant career uh, behind you and have probably have seen the the field uh, evolve uh, quite a bit and what i'm really picking up here from you is bringing that systems thinking uh, approach to to the whole is issue and bringing those those pieces pieces together and and so maybe you know in that vein of of systems uh, thinking um, how would you dis really describe or what would you be insights on how leadership and health are interconnected in in the workplace that they're not separate things are worried uh, worried about but but we're really bringing those things uh, also uh, in how leaders look at their roles to, to bring those things uh, together. What, what would be your thoughts? Your thoughts yeah. yeah, I think, um, as you mentioned before, um, you know, leaders set the tone of the organization. So as it relates to a culture of health, is it words versus action? 
you know, so you know, some some leaders might lead by a culture of fear. Other might be through a culture of hope. And so the leaders really set the tone in terms of um, how they want the ecosystem of their employee um, workforce to interact with each other. And at the end, leaders want high performing teams. So they want to empower them with the right tools so they can feel they can be their best uh, in the workplace. And then I think a lot of focus why health has become more important is on the on the middle managers. So typically in occupational health, it's the middle managers that feel most stressed because they get it from the top, they get it from the board, the executive team, and they also get it from the bottom in terms of the staff that they had to manage. So there's always this tension between demand, control, effort, reward, and they often feel they have the most stress in terms of mental health and work-life balance, et cetera. And I think also society right now, there's so many problems right now globally with access to healthcare, you know, the HR crisis in terms of burnout, so employers are needing to step up more in terms of providing more services, or at least on the prevention side, if not the treatment side, to kind of prevent these things uh, before they show up with um, you know, multiple complications, which can lead to sickness, absenteeism, et cetera. And the other thing I've learned, I've seen you know, the evolution from our days at Husky is that the occupational doctor, the corporate medical director, is increasingly getting a seat uh, in the boardroom. So getting a seat uh, with the other decision makers and the influencers to provide diversity of thought, a different perspective, a more holistic view, kind of a voice of the employee population, but also being sensitive to the needs of the business. So it's really kind of a challenging, uh, you know, a lot of those different hats to wear to see how you can provide a point of view as it relates to health from the uh, individual's point of view, you know, the employer's point of view and the societal kind of point of view, all these things kind of interplay. So um, I, I see that role kind of evolving. James, probably this is why you are particularly effective in, in your role, right? So we, we, we met at the uh, Director's Education Program, which is really a broad education program on all things related to boards with strategy, uh, M&A, risk assessment, audit functions. We, we talked about difficult conversations in, 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 the, in, in, the, in the boardroom there. And so it's really both ways, right, that, that corporate leaders may you know, show a greater interest appreciation for those health concerns and integrate those in their thinking, but then also that medical professionals, certainly at your level in a, in a senior corporate function, really understand the, the demands and the pressures of the business so that we come up with solutions that, you know, meet the test of the uh, the real hard world and the, the, the competitive uh, environment. So if we can just take that and change tack here just a, a, a little bit. And maybe that goes, the next question goes back to one particular project. I remember that we uh, that we worked on uh, together some, some, some years ago. So you have dealt with critical incident planning and infectious diseases in the workplace. I remember the SARS crisis, right? This was really yeah. the first one, the first time I was saying, wow, you know, we are, we're dealing with something here that we've never dealt with before, certainly not in uh, in 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 Canada, at least that I can remember. And so, so how how can leaders effectively? So yes, we need to have the corporate programs. But I'm asking, what what do you think a leader can do to effectively manage health crises? I mean, I mean COVID is like obviously the perfect example right now, and the perfect storm example. And so, manage that health crisis and maintain employee well-being during such a uh, challenging time. Yes, I get help from my you know medical advisor, but what can I, what should I do as a, as a leader to, 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 to help, to help with that? Yeah. I, I do remember Dirk fondly when we went through um, some of these different crises as a team. So I think that's the first thing is you need to get a diversity of thought and opinions. You need to kind of 
put together a team of experts uh, and stick to the facts and get people to communicate frequently to provide their point of view and perspective and feel um, safe to do that. Mm -hmm. So from an operation point of view, I'm worried about this. From a legal point of view, I'm worried about this. From the medical, I'm worried about this. So you need to have everybody um, together uh, in, in a safe place, um, talking frankly during a crisis to get to the point, to get to the facts. So uh, assemble the right team. You know, as, as you mentioned, you, you need a plan, kind of emergency preparedness, a risk team to go through all this stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, it's uh, frequent communication. So one of the words that came to mind for me when I was going through these different crises in the past is anticipatory guidance. So you're really trying to guide um, the operations and the safety of your employees with limited information. So you're really doing it on a weekly basis where you don't have all the facts. So um, that, that kind of goes back to leading with empathy, addressing the unknown, sticking to the facts, uh, leaning on the experts, um, and having more of a balanced approach and, and doing no harm. So one of the things from the Hippocratic Oath for medicine is like, you know, do, don't make it worse, you know, do no harm. Um, and so I, I think that in most crises is are sort of the fundamentals, you know, frequent communication, get the right influencers in the room, meet frequently, get inputs at all different levels of the organization, stick to the facts, communicate frequently, don't be alarmist, but also don't be, uh, uh, you know, don't, don't belittle things. Um, don't, don't be dismissive. And um, the good news about these things is if you do it well for leaders, it establishes huge trust. And, uh, you know, I learned a bit of that in the course too, <laughs> the Institute of Corporate Directors as, uh, um, you know, leaders that have empathy and, and trust and integrity um, can, can lead their organization through times of crisis. But you need to be genuine and, and have integrity and be clear and transparent during these ups and downs but if you lose that you can you can lose your power of influence quite quickly and um and don't talk about something they don't have expertise on yeah. so so james i think that is um excellent ad advice right <laughs> especially this don't talk about things you have uh, expertise on you, you you ended with that and i i sometimes see that and i think it also shows a dimension um, of, of leadership that as a leader, I'm not just called upon and let's it's especially at that middle or middle upper uh, management. But so if you're not the CEO, anything, let's say below, below the CEO is you, you're not just there to lead your function. Part of your job as a leader is to build relationships with others in the organization, invite their thinking. And it's something for you do for your team is to build those relationships with other experts or other departments because your department cannot function in, in isolation. And ideally, you build those relationships before the crisis hits um, so that there is a, a good rapport and it's easy to, to reach out. So, so I think that was some critical advice you gave us here. So I really want to underline, um, underline that. Um, if we move from there, um, again, uh, Christian read your very, very <laughs> impressive bio, and I should add here, this is the edited, uh, the edited version of, <laughs> of James's bio. There's a, a lot more Christian could have, could have, uh, added there, but those are the things that, that we, we, we picked out here. Uh, but one of your areas of interest is preventative medicine. And, um, so here again, we, we like to get very practical here on the, Genoa podcast. So what would be, since we have the doctor in the house here, what would be some practical steps that leaders can take to proactively address health and uh, wellness issues for, I guess, for themselves, for the teams 
for the organizations where, 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 where they are? Yeah, so um, a big component of prevention is education. Mm. And so, um, and there's lots of literature about effective communication and people learn in different ways. So one size doesn't fit all. So I think um, the biggest part for an employer is a communication strategy, identify the content that you want to transmit um, to, to your audience. And so that's, you know, not just one size fits all, it's multiple strategies, having a wellness champion, empowering your staff, having an executive sponsor um, that's behind these different um, initiatives. Um, and also ERGs are very big, uh, you know, employee resource groups for inclusion and diversity and all these things, those are very important. But I want to underscore what you said, Dirk, which is really important, is relationships. And so, uh, you know, one of the tools of wellness is resilience. And so there's all kinds of predictors of, of resiliency, which is, you know, grit, optimism, what have you. But one of the most important things is your social support system. So most people that can deal with a crisis have a strong support system. So to your point about developing these relationships with experts before a crisis hits, it gives you more confidence to pull everybody together to deal with these things when a storm happens, when there's uncertainty. Same thing for prevention for employee health is the middle manager's relationship with your manager, with your boss is so important. So if you have a boss that has a high emotional intelligence, is um, um, you know open to growth and development, giving a lot of feedback and you know gives you the right balance of autonomy that you need uh, to grow, uh, that, that's huge. And so I think a lot of focus on the middle managers, the managers to raise their emotional health, emotional IQ, um, and, and to manage kind of the needs of the business with the needs of, of the times and the needs of their workforce is huge. So these are all part of prevention, relationship building, um, having different programs, having executive sponsorship, having a, an effective communication strategy, one size doesn't fit all. And, uh, and the cool stuff in the future might be, will AI, um, you know, make things more smart. So there'll be different ways that employers can disseminate information that's relevant in the time. Of course, that that's uh, consistent with privacy laws and, you know, make sure that Big Brother isn't <laughs> watching. And uh, so there's always a balance with the legal aspect of it. But uh, uh, but that, that would be kind of some of my high-level recommendations on prevention. Yeah, no, no. So, so I think those are excellent thoughts and what you're showing us here and i think what what really pervades our discussion that the field has come uh, a long way and that there are new tools new ways of doing things we uh, need to avail ourselves of those tools in a as you're saying responsible use obviously of, of health and uh, health data and and we, we, we understand that but it is a field that is advancing and we want to be part of that advancement and, and that that innovation and and so picking picking it up from there is I mean when we worked together uh, some years ago at, at at Husky I think Husky was a leader in uh, bringing to in the idea of uh, health and wellness and it, it was a, a very strong program and obviously uh, because you were there it was such a, a strong uh, program but um, and I think the appreciation for the value of uh, these programs is now a lot more mainstream uh, than it would have been. I think we were pioneering a little bit there um, at the at the time, but there is still the question always, you know, okay, what's 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 the return, right? Is is that really, you know, in the end, helping the the enterprise move its uh, agenda uh, uh, forward to build a, a healthy business, serve customers, all of those things, right? That that are on the the CEO is typically worried about uh, two things. They're worried about their customers and they're worried about running a, 
uh, healthy, which includes a financially healthy um, healthy business. So could you give us an example where you'd say, look, here we had a program, wellness disease management program, that really made a positive impact on health of employees and leaders, and, and, and that, that would I would hold that up as a as an example of something where we really added value to uh, to the enterprise. Yeah, um, Husky Injection Molding under your leadership and, and your uh, the, you guys were ahead of your time. So I was proud to be part of that uh, concept of on-site wellness center and different services, multidisciplinary. So Husky was ahead of their time. But in, in terms of an example in current times, well, uh, on the talent, talent acquisition and retention strategy, we've got these leadership development programs. So we've developed this one called Excite, which has been hugely successful, which is for uh, leaders at different levels of their organization that they do sort of a one or two day um, kind of workshop which addresses all the different aspects of being a leader. A lot of the things that we were talking about earlier in the podcast. So that's been sort of very successful. Um, people are empowered when an employer takes interest in growth and development and giving them skills both in their personal and professional life. Other kind of low hanging fruit that's been very successful, these wellness challenges. So fitness challenges around the world, people and linked to volunteerism. Mm. So raising money, helping, doing some good, that, you know, but with some kind of activity and competition uh, is great in the social aspect of wellness. Yeah. So the social aspect, that's been sort of powerful. And then um, health education series, bringing in speaker series, open mic sessions, but as long as it's linked to what's relevant to the organization. So if you just do stuff that's boilerplated, it doesn't have any traction, but if it's something that's customized and personal, that's really good. And then I would say the other thing that just is interesting is, um, I don't know about huge impact, but meeting etiquette. So, you know, with this hybrid world and virtual back in person. So, you know, I was just at a meeting yesterday where they always start off with a wellness moment. So they, they rotate who the chair is and then everyone has to share kind of like, hey, what do you do to unplug? Like, what's your little pearl? So it just kind of sets the tone, right? It sets the tone of psychological safety, kind of makes us feel more humane again. It's kind of a connecting exercise like, hey, one, you know, we're all on the same mission. We all want to help the enterprise. We're all working together. But hey, we're also human. We've got needs and life is stressful and we care. And so we're going to work hard. But you know, what do you do to unplug? So anyways, these little, it, sometimes it's not always the huge things, like the big splashy on the website. We spent a lot of money. It looks fantastic. Sometimes it's the little things that are the daily habits that really permeate throughout a culture of health. And we see this across different divisions, different leadership styles that really walk the talk. Um, there's sort of a halo effect. Um, and of course, the psychological safety is big too, right? So that's the kind of the buzz. And I've heard some negative, well, I shouldn't say negative feedback, but there's been some discussions about maybe that's the wrong word, like safety, you know, there's a connotation of safety, like, oh, it's dangerous. You know, maybe we should kind of make it a softer word, like psychological well-being, you know, why, why everything has to be so harsh, uh, you know. Um, so anyways, it, it, these are kind of things that, um, you know, small and big that, uh, again, like I said, on prevention, one size does not fit all. Mm -hmm. You got to come at multiple different levels and how you measure impact. We are doing that too, is we're looking at wellness uh, indices that are benchmarked across industry. So looking at qualitative employee engagement surveys, employee experience surveys that can benchmark across industry, across these different pillars of what we think is important for wellness so that there's actually a tangible measurement um, you know, versus the traditional ways of just looking at participation rates. Yeah. So, 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 Gent, I really um, 
couple of things I, I, I want to emphasize that, that, that you mentioned that I think are so important. And, and the one thing is making this stuff that you may read in a book or you hear at a conference or you get from a consultant, how do you bring that into your organization? And I think this is a job of leadership. Hey, okay, I learned something new here, I'm getting great ideas from Dr. James who comes and gives a talk at my organization, but then I know how the organization ticks as a leader. And, and there typically is a translation uh, required. Some things may not quite fit culturally. Some are really good ideas, but we want to plug them into things that are already there and not just start this whole new uh, program. And, and so that is really uh, a key thing. And you mentioned that, right? How do I bring that into into uh, uh, into the organization? And then the, the other one, I know a psychological well-being or safety is a big word, but my own experience here, I mean, we talked about Husky. It was a pioneering place in, in many, many uh, uh, um, aspects of, of uh, corporate world and business and strategy and the wellness and medical aspect, as you mentioned, was surely one of them. But it was also a very hard driving and, and a very, very stressful place. And I remember at the time I had a, a quarterly meeting uh, with the uh, uh, one of the board committee chairs, later chairman of the board, and that was uh, Bob Gillespie, who was at the time the the CEO of General Electric Canada. And so I went there. He always asked me, come to my office. He wanted me to be, you know, uh, in, a, in, a, in a different locale. And he always started, hey, Dirk, how are you doing? How are things are going? And he is like a very senior executive, works for Jack Welch in, a, in an organization at the time that was hard driving itself. And so to see somebody like that, who, you know, had many, many things to do, take time to really ask how I was doing and and listening with with interest uh, to this that that impressed me to this day and that's why I'm talking about it here and again he's a leader who uh, otherwise uh, had to deliver for for Jack Welch right if you weren't delivering you, you wouldn't be around and to get that right right to 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 create that uh, psychological well-being place and start our conversation with a genuine inquiry hey how is it going and not yet yeah, it's fine and then we go to the agenda but really really asking i mean that that stuck with me and that that's just something you 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 mentioned there that i think we can learn from okay we're going to pause it there we thank you for coming around this time to the jamar leadership podcast but we hope that you'll join us next time because as we said this is only part one of a two-part interview you can already get a sense of how fascinating this conversation is but i assure you next time it might even be more fascinating Dirk and James will get into topics such as global health initiatives, social responsibility, and even personal strategies you can bring to your own life and leadership. Anyway, that's it for now. We hope you'll join us again next time, and Dirk and James will continue the conversation. See you there.